Well, a warm thank you to Angie, Phil, and Adam. And a thank you to you. We, we ran an event like this in this format a month ago, and it was about work. This obviously is more painful for us and more, well, more painful for you maybe. Uh, maybe painful because of recent bereavement in uh, the case of a loved one. Maybe you still feel the pain of bereavement from years ago. It can really linger, can't it? I, I lost my dad to cancer when I was 10, though honestly I have uh, more vivid memories of my grandmother's death. My grandparents were Irish. My uh, granddad from Dublin, she was from Cork. I won't do the accent, but they, uh, they were great accents, and they moved to London, and they lived in Greenford. He was a passionate QPR fan, and uh, they both loved to play lawn bowls. And we would visit them, and my grandmother would gleefully point out um, her lawn bowls trophy cabinet, which was twice the size and twice as full as my granddad's next to it. Uh, as she pointed out every time we went. Uh, well, she came to live with us shortly after he died. Uh, I was back from university, and I saw her in those last few years slowly deteriorate until she passed away in, in her bed in the room next to mine. And that evening, uh, death felt very close, very real, and painfully final. And in the days that followed, my mum had to do that very strange thing, perhaps you've had to do this as well, of going through all of her parents' possessions and deciding from all of that what to keep and uh, what to dispose of, a, a, a skip full of memories. It's all so stark, isn't it? It's so painful. It's so final. But is it definitely final? Is death the end? And if there was something beyond death, how would we ever know? Uh, Eddie Izzard, in a 2017 interview entitled everything I do in life is trying to get my mother back, said this. I have a very strong sense that we're only on this planet for a short length of time. Religious people might think it goes on after death. My feeling is that if that is the case, it would be nice if just one person came back and let us know it was all fine, all confirmed. Of all the billions of people who've died, if just one of them could come through the clouds and say, you know, it's me, Janine, it's brilliant. There's a really good spa, that would be great. Izzard pauses, although what if heaven was only like three-star, okay-ish, you know, some of the taps don't work. If just one person came back. Now, look, some have claimed that, of course, haven't they? They've claimed while uh, perhaps lying in a, a hospital bed to have seen a vision of the other side, and it often leads to a, a lucrative book deal, and we're understandably skeptical. But Christians believe that there is a life offered us beyond death, a five-star life, guaranteed to us by the one person who really has come back from death to tell us. I don't know how familiar you are with the accounts of Jesus' life. You've got one of them free to take, if you like, in that white book. But uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this one's John. Sometimes a person will come to those accounts of Jesus' life as an adult and read them properly for the first time with an adult mind and find them utterly surprising. They thought they knew the story and they realized they didn't. For example, they open the account expecting to find a man who claims to be a good person or a wise teacher, and they find instead a man who makes the kinds of outrageous claims only usually heard on a psychiatric ward. A person who made the kinds of claims that Jesus made, if those claims were false, wouldn't be good or wise. And one of the most outrageous claims Jesus ever made 
is the claim to have authority over death. Here's one example. In uh, John's Gospel, chapter 11, you can check this later on in that white book. John, chapter 11, we read Jesus saying this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. In other words, he's saying, I have the power uniquely to bring the dead back to life. That is outrageous in any context. But Jesus said those words to a woman who was only days bereaved. She had just lost her brother. Now, look, we, we never choose our words, do we, so carefully as when we're speaking to the bereaved. And sometimes if we're wise, we know it's best to say nothing at all and just be present, just be there. These are the cruelest words Jesus could possibly say if they aren't true. But Jesus does say them. And then John's account tells us, you can check this later in that white book, he goes to the tomb, he beckons the dead man, and out comes the dead man. He's wrapped in burial cloths and walking. And it isn't an isolated incident either. Several times, Jesus leaves the crowd slack-jawed by raising someone from the dead. If we want to discredit Jesus or, or relegate Jesus to just a good man or or a religious leader, along with all the others, then these resurrections are going to prove a problem for us. But the biggest problem of all is going to be his own resurrection. Several times during his later years, Jesus predicted that he would die. In, he said this in public. He predicted that he would die, and then he'd come back from the dead. Here's an example. This is Mark's gospel this time, Mark chapter 8. He said, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, the religious establishment, that is, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. That's Jesus' prediction in advance. Now, Jesus definitely died. Now, the most powerful people in Jerusalem made absolutely sure of it. They crucified him. They, they then ran the checks on his corpse, and then they buried him, and then came three public shocks. And these are three shocks I'd love you to consider with me. First shock, the empty tomb. What do we do with the shock of the empty tomb, which is recorded in those accounts of his life? Now, why did Jesus' friends, to their astonishment, find Jesus' tomb empty? They'd seen where he was buried, so they knew which tomb it was. Where was Jesus' body? If it was the work of uh, grave robbers, why did they find his burial cloths neatly folded? Robbers don't generally do that, do they? Had the, the hostile authorities moved the body? Well, then why not produce it when rumors of a resurrection started to spread among members of the public? Had the disciples taken it? Had they somehow overpowered the elite Roman guard stationed at the tomb? And, and why? Why had they taken it? What was the point if Jesus was dead? And if he was dead, how did those same disciples convince the public that he was alive? And we've all seen convincing ventriloquist acts, right? But I mean, this is a different level. So there's a first shock that we're going to have to try to explain. How do we explain the empty tomb? And then there's a second shock. How do we explain the shock of the eyewitnesses? How do we explain the accounts of Jesus then appearing after he died to eyewitnesses in the days that followed, uh, eating with them to prove that he wasn't just a sort of ghostly apparition, uh, inviting them to come and, and touch his hands and his side, which still bore the scars of crucifixion, proving this is the same person, appearing to individuals like his mother and to, to hardened skeptics, I'll never believe the resurrection, like 
Thomas and crowds, uh, 500 people at once, far more than we've got here. What were those eyewitnesses seeing if it wasn't Jesus? If it wasn't Jesus, who was it? And why? I mean, look, take his mother, for example. Mothers know their sons, don't they? When we used to bring the, the dreaded school photo home, uh, your mum didn't have to ask you which one you were. Mothers know. Someone says, well, maybe the eyewitnesses were lying. They concocted a story. Well, okay, well, just take the 12 apostles then as an example, a sample size. Uh, Charles Coulson, the lawyer from the Watergate scandal, remember that great U.S cover-up conspiracy uh, several years ago now. Colson, who later became a Christian, said this. He said, I know the resurrection of Jesus is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. What do we do with that? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, as he claimed he would, and as these accounts claim he did, how do we explain those eyewitnesses? And then what about the third shock? And, and that is the explosion of Christianity. Look, if we listen to this and we find this just completely implausible, improbable, you're in good company. It was just as improbable to the people who lived at the time, for the general public back then. This sort of thing just didn't happen. And there were strong incentives for the general public to disbelieve it. For a Jewish mind, for example, a man proving himself to be God by um, rising from the dead was heresy. And to the Greek-thinking world, it was lunacy. Only an idiot would believe that a man claiming to be God would rise from the dead. And yet, in historical terms, virtually overnight, Christianity went viral. Jews and Greek-thinking people everywhere all of a sudden began calling themselves Christians. And this was long before, remember, there was any kind of social advantage in doing so. Quite the opposite. It's enough to get you booted out of your own family. That is very hard to explain if there was no resurrection. Historically speaking, people who know better than me would say that movements like this usually take a very long time to build. They gain momentum over time. What they don't do is spring up overnight, unless that is something massive happens, something so public and undeniable as to change minds in an instant. Now, for the time being, I'm just going to leave that with you to chew over and ask, as I finish at least, so what? What does this mean for us? Well, I want to suggest two things, and then I'm done. First, this, I think, surely changes our view of Jesus. If Jesus really rose from the dead, as he'd predicted, then he can't just be, can he, a, a good person or a wise teacher. His resurrection is the proof that he really is God himself. And that surely makes Jesus unignorable. Suddenly he isn't just the, the leader of a local group or the head of a religion. He's the God who made you and me. He's the God you and I will face at the end of our lives, as Philip was mentioning 
just now. If Jesus rose again, ignoring him would be madness, wouldn't it? So I think it changes our view of Jesus, if it's true. Secondly, finally, it changes our view of death. Remember what we read Jesus saying to that grieving woman? He said this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And then he asks her, do you believe this? Now, look, if Jesus is dead, this is all self-deluded nonsense. But if he has risen from the dead, then he really does have the power to bring people like you and me through death and into a new life. He really can transform our death from, if you like, a, a brick wall into a doorway. And where would that doorway lead? Well, not long before Jesus' death and resurrection, he told his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them. He was talking about a new world, a world in, in some respects like this one, and in other respects completely different. But think about it. What kind of a world could someone like Jesus create? Someone who can uh, dispel disease and dismiss sadness and destroy death, it would be a perfect world. It would be the world that we all long for. And it's Jesus' promise there of this world to come, life in that world to come, that means Christians die differently. Uh, one of our uh, members here at church is battling cancer and said this about the prospect of her own death. She said, while I'm sad to think I'm going to be leaving my family and friends earlier than I may have done, I also have a hope that I might see them once again in my heavenly home. As for me, God says in his world, we will be made new. The doors will be opened. I'll see Jesus. I'll be home. Is that just wish fulfillment? Is it a, a desperate delusion to soften the blow? Not if Jesus rose again. Remember his promise. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Do you believe this?